Hello everyone and welcome to In Media's Mess, where two pop culture nerds try to make sense of the messy world of mass media. I'm Alanis. And I'm Clea. And we're glad to have you along. So far in this podcast, Clea and I have talked about our favorite TV shows, films, music, cool things on the internet, but we haven't talked about what I think we both consider our first love, literature. And that's a love that can be traced back to us being total nerds over novels in English class. So in this episode, we wanted to talk about the books and stories that have shaped us and stayed with us, which we discovered through years and years of required reading. So Clea, as kids, you and I used to talk about the things we read in English class a lot, but I'm wondering if you've ever wanted to be an English teacher, because a part of me definitely feels like in some parallel universe, I might be one. Definitely same for me. I actually did want to be an English teacher for a while. Really? I did. And then I realized that like, I may probably need an English degree for that. Yeah. (laughs) And I just... I was just like, never mind. Yeah, we can't turn back now. We're done with that. But I think any kid who has ever had a great teacher would have wanted to emulate them in some way. And I think that's basically what happened to us. But also, just in media in general, the character trope of the English teacher that helps the main character with their inner conflict is pretty prevalent. The cool English teacher, for sure. I mean, I wanted to be one simply because like, as I was growing up, nine times out of ten, my favorite subjects in class like, were English. I always enjoyed it. I always really liked the discussions. And I always, like, we also had really good luck with English teachers. We've had, like, a couple of really good ones, you know, in the past. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a common experience, like, to have that one English teacher that changes your life. Yeah, for sure. Or at least the way that you think in a positive way given that there's a whole character trope for it. And we're very lucky to have had several really good ones. Not to be all dead poet society on this podcast, but learning the arts with an older figure that you might consider... um, A mentor. Yeah, a mentor really is a very valuable experience, Mm -hmm. especially when they allow you to kind of explore and be creative and imaginative and just teach you to have fun with the arts. So I think that's why I enjoyed English classes or just literature classes in general. Adding to the idea of like having English teachers impact your life so much. I think it's because in English class and through literature, it's where you're able to kind of get your first real glimpse of like understanding the world outside of your own views. So, you know, it's definitely, there's a lot to learn from English class, not just literally the subject matter but through books and through your discussion of books there's always like this really great kind of exchange of ideas that happens yeah and through that you're taught how to reason out and explain your ideas as well as how to actively listen and it becomes a space where you're able to explore your worldview and have your perspectives be challenged and expanded right It's not formulaic. It's not a hard and fast factual kind of subject. It's a lot of it requires like you to kind of think outside the box, I'd say, and really piece together 
you know, your thoughts into like a proper, like coherent thing. Definitely. And I would say my first clear memory of enjoying a literary analysis discussion would be in fourth grade English class, then called reading class, when we were talking about Ella Enchanted. Mm, yeah. I remember our then reading teacher, Miss Kelly. Hi, Miss Kelly. Going into so many details of the novel, and me being a young student, feeling so amazed that there's so much you can discover and take away from a novel, even with one that's as short as Ella Enchanted. Right, yeah. I think we both agree that Ella Enchanted is one of those books that have stayed with us um, from our required reading lists. And it's actually really funny because like as we were discussing this episode, this was the first story. Like this was the first book that came out and we read this in grade four. Yeah, dude. And the thing that I find funny and a little surprising or a little ironic is that at this time we were like 11, 12. And the theme of our required reading is essentially anti-subservience and we were in a private all-girls catholic institution so it's kind of blowing my mind i would honestly say that for a lot of young students obedience is a trait that's drilled into their heads in schools like oftentimes to a fault and catholic schools bless them have a tendency to kind of lean on this blind dogmatic obedience There's a whole nother discussion to be had over there. (laughs) But the fact that this book that was, you know, prescribed to us in grade four, which talks about, you know, obedience without question being something of a curse that you should not aspire to was very groundbreaking, to be honest. I don't think I realized how groundbreaking until much, much later. Yeah, definitely. I didn't realize how funny... It was, to be honest, because it has themes of, you know, independence and thinking for yourself. And that's not necessarily something that's cultivated, per se, in that environment. Blind obedience is sometimes, or oftentimes, expected of you, not even just in school and other similar institutions, but even in families. And that's very true, particularly with Asian and Filipino families. And that's a cultural mindset that persists until today and you would feel even as an adult but especially when you're a kid and you're given all of these rules and you aren't really taught to question them so to have a novel that tells you well actually sometimes you should question why you're made to do things and that tells you actually too sometimes adults don't have the right answers and don't know what they're doing i think that's a good thing to kind of impart to children and it's interesting to learn within school given the nature of it. I remember the discussion on this being really really interesting and I remember a lot of us being very involved because a lot of the discussion sort of also revolved around how you were expected to obey and how you were expected to do this and that and like be a proper lady or whatever um, that, you know, was like taught to you not only in school, but also, you know, at home and by society. And so having that space as a young child to really kind of like sit down and think, huh, maybe this isn't something that I should be just like blindly accepting. This discussion in this book changed how we viewed not really our upbringing, but like how we viewed like certain values that we were taught I guess, how we viewed gender roles in society, too. Mm. 
because like you said, as young girls, we were thought to be quote unquote proper ladies. It's so funny to me because in the novel, Ella goes to finishing school. Right. And finishing school is like the exact same concept as an an all-girls Catholic school. (laughs) Plus, like we said, it's not just in school. At home or in other places, you would hear the phrase, kababae mong tao, which is like a comment meant to be a signal for you to stop and fix whatever you're doing because you're not behaving the way a proper lady should be behaving. So in that way, I feel like a lot of young kids could easily relate to Ella. Sort of moving away from like the deeper analysis. It also just was a really fun book. Yeah, I had so much fun. I've always loved fairy tales and in tandem, I've always loved fairy tale retellings. It's super fun for me to see new interpretations or explanations of certain details. Like for Ella Enchanted, the like if the shoe fits scene was set up very well because of a certain detail in the novel where like Ella had like fairy jeans that made her feet tiny. Stuff like that I really enjoy because it gives you kind of like an aha moment while reading it. It's always fun when you have a classic story that's told in a different way. And, you know, maybe it's just like the literature nerd in me, but I've always really liked reading through different retellings and figuring out like how to get, how they get the point across in like a different way. And I guess in a contemporary way, because there will always be cool new parallels and comparisons to present day that you could make with classic tales. For sure. And I think one other reason why I would class this as like required reading in life. This was released a year after we were born. Oh my god. And so much of what it talks about is still very much applicable to society today. And I can bet that if it's still required in grade four, I hope it is, um, so many kids will really like learn so much about themselves through this book as long as it's discussed properly. Discussed properly and in an enjoyable way. Because again, we were kids when we read this and it was important in this part of our like reading journey that one, we were given a book that was relevant and fun and two, we were discussing a fun book in a fun way because we would not have been engrossed otherwise and it would set the tone for how we would feel about required reading in the future so shout out to miss kelly in grade four for making this such a fun discussion we're very very thankful also shout out to her because she made me realize how great it is to have like a propensity for languages like I remember that was a very clear thing that I picked up from our discussions I really wanted to have that same ability that Ella had yeah when she could speak uh was it troll ogre I don't remember yeah she could pick up the languages of the other like kinds of characters and I was like man I don't have that I only know two languages (laughs) I know I feel like this also might have been like one of the things that spurred my very short-lived attempt at Spanish. Oh, I didn't know you were trying to learn Spanish. No, I mean, like, I tried it for a solid, like, two weeks in grade four, so... Clearly, we were not as talented or as dedicated with language as Ella. But, I mean, we probably should have just gone deeper into Tagalog anyway because, you know, this was a private school in Metro Manila-ish and with private schools in the city, often a lot of kids have a hard time with Tagalog, both in writing and in speaking. And I honestly think that's kind of a disgrace. 
although obviously there's a lot of nuance to that considering how systematic our problem with language really is so it's not necessarily like the kids fault but in very simplistic terms you know it's just sad that Filipino kids who live in the Philippines and grow up in the Philippines struggle so much with the language but This is where I think knowing about Filipino literature and Filipino heritage comes in. And I started to feel very strongly about the importance of that when we read Without Seeing the Dawn in high school. Okay, let me just like put it out there. Without Seeing the Dawn, it's my number one favorite like required reading of like all time. But it's also my number one, like it's a, it's my number one favorite piece of Philippine literature. I think it's genuinely one of the best books that I have ever read. Okay, definitely same, but just a quick clarification since I talked about language for a bit there. Without Seeing the Dawn is a Filipino novel in English. So we discussed it in English class. Obviously, like we were also required books in Filipino. We require different things and we also appreciate them for how much of our culture that they showed us. But I think the thing about Without Seeing the Dawn is like we didn't expect it to be so powerful. And to be fair, prior to first year high school, which was when we read this, we barely read any contemporary Tagalog or Filipino language novels. Even for school, I think it was just like Florante at Laura. Add to that fact that Western cultural dominance had us mainly reading English novels for leisure. So that's why it was so game-changing for us to read about the Philippine experience in English about life in the Philippines. Basically, it's our turning point to start actively searching for Filipino literature. So just a quick backgrounder, because this isn't a book that's too often required. Without Seeing the Dawn is a novel by Stevan Havillana, And it was published in 1947, with the title being taken from a quote that Elias says towards the end of Nolimitangere. It's a two-act novel. The first act, called Day, talks about life in Panay Island before the Second World War. And the second act, Night, talks about how the island has changed during the American and Japanese occupation, basically during World War II. Yes. So, like a lot of literature we read in school, It is colored by our colonial history. But I'd like to reiterate what you said, that we didn't expect for this novel to hit us as hard as it did. I agree 100%. Because, okay, kids have different interests. And not everyone is necessarily inclined to like reading for leisure. And this is required reading. So for sure, there's going to be some pushback. And it's very rare to have a big group of people almost universally like a piece of required literature but i honestly think without seeing the dawn was pretty much a positive experience for most of our batchmates if not schoolmates i have no data for this but yeah i remember people being very emotionally invested particularly with what happened to agpang the carabao and um alicia and you know they're not necessarily like the big big events in the story but i remember coming into class when we had to discuss those chapters in the collective kind of despair and shock and that level of engagement was something that i didn't see beforehand yes we did have good discussions in reading classes before but i felt like as a group there wasn't much of an emotional stake in the story until without seeing the dawn i remember first year english very well hi mr campo and i remember 
the discussions on without seeing the dawn like these english classes in particular would leave me absolutely drained by the end of it but in an incredibly fulfilling way yeah oh my god you're so right in school we had i think 45 minute classes and i remember english class being so it felt so much shorter and so much longer because everyone was like really pushing to talk about these things and again like a huge shout out and a huge like thank you to our first year english teacher that we really like got to the meat of the story like we discussed so much of it like we talked about you know not only like general filipino culture but we talked about society's expectations we talked about colonization we talked about neocolonialism so there was a lot of like really intense and very nuanced discussions that i really feel heightened my appreciation for the story even more And that's the thing too with required readings is that how much your students end up liking the material is highly dependent on how it's discussed. To have both great material and a great discussion of the material is just magic. That is what happened with first year English. Plus, I'd like to point out that, you know, at this point in the school year, we had already been in high school for maybe like a few months. And by then, we have realized that English was not going to be the class that we would get the high grade in. Like the jump from grade school reading class to high school English was pretty steep. So to have people enjoy a novel, even though their grades were not ideal at like 13, 14 and like our education system, that's a pretty big thing. But on a more like big picture kind of level, I think it was the first time I was able to apply what I had learned in history classes in grade school to understand the effects of colonization. Mm, yes, yeah. Because previously, you know, we've discussed colonization just from history books that had facts and statistics and it was rote learning of this happened and then this happened. But reading about how these historical events affected the lives of Filipinos on an everyday basis was so important to me. I think that the discussion around World War II or like war in general in Philippine classes is it's often very global. So there's a lot less focus on like Filipino events unless it's in relation to like the larger international powers. Right. And even then the focus is very specifically war related, you know, soldiers, guns, violence and death and not about the experiences of the Filipino people. So without seeing the dawn to be able to show so many nuances about like the daily lives of normal people. And I particularly like that it was set in a province and like not in a big city. That just really widened my perspective on what it meant, you know, like what war meant. Yeah, like it gives you a picture of how these events ripple and trickle into the lives of everyone in society. And the novel, by viewing these social issues on a micro-personal level, it makes you care about these characters. And it's just so different when you see yourself clearly in a story. You relate to these characters on a deeper level because it's not just with universal feelings of love and grief and friendship and guilt and all of that but because they are wholly filipino and they operate within the same practices and traditions and pressures as you you get to recognize their personal struggles within those same structures 
And I love that you pointed out that it's not a story that's very concentrated in the city throughout. Our institutions tend to be very city-centric. And if you're like me with generations who are like from the city, these aren't the kind of stories that you would have direct access to necessarily. Because learning about the Philippines outside of your own reality is something that you have to work for. It's not a given. That's very true. It's not a national prerogative, but it's highly dependent instead on the resources you have at your disposal to access information about your heritage and also how closely your environment interacts with that heritage. And that's something that I'm so eternally frustrated about. Same. Alanis and I share like the frustration that I can probably draw a family tree of all of the Greek gods and I barely know, you know, indigenous religions. Like, I don't understand our legends. I don't understand our origin stories, our folk tales. So much of it is lost in the in the mix of, like, when we were colonized. And so much of what we learn is in relation to our, you know, our colonial past. And there is a lot of merit in knowing that. But it's a frustrating thing because, like, I feel like not having the connection to our indigenous cultures and our indigenous roots makes it harder to understand who we are today. Definitely. And I mean, it's not that we don't learn about these things on some level, but it's just not built to be ingrained. Like, I think we only had like one quarter on Filipino myths and legends in high school. And, you know, our appreciation for our own culture is largely overshadowed by the dominance of other cultures because it's rarely reinforced outside of test papers and 45-minute classes. And that doesn't mean individually we're absolved of the responsibility of putting in the work of learning about the Philippines. It's just kind of, why does there have to be so much extra work? There's so much inaccessibility. Even without seeing the dawn is an example of that, because again, it's not a widely required novel. And with the amount of time we dedicate in history classes talking about our colonial past, you know, you would think that it would be. If not, you know, required at least suggested reading, like let it be introduced at least, because it tackles the intricacies and complexities of colonization. And it's not just like the bigger picture of like colonizer colonized. By intricacies, we mean the psychological effects of these shifts, how it affects your relationships, how it affects like different parts of daily life. And that was just something that was so new to me when I read this book. Yeah. I'll be completely honest, I haven't read this book in a very long time. But I do remember the feeling I got after reading it. I was just angry and relieved at the same time. As a Filipino who could like see myself in these characters and these stories, it was so frustrating because, you know, this was a part of my history and this was something that I felt was, you know, wrong. But I also felt like a really intense sense of relief that I am able to learn about this. Without Seeing the Dawn is one of those books that I really was very grateful to have had fall into my like radar because I really feel like who I was as a person was fundamentally changed by reading this book. Oh my god, you're right. You're right. It was definitely the grounding for our opinions today. We would not have like readily understood the issues of neocolonialism if we did not have that grounding at that crucial age. Yeah. 
And I mean, in high school, you don't call it by name. You don't, you know, talk about neoliberalism and neocolonialism, but the foundations of our beliefs, if you will, like the foundations of our understanding of what is right and wrong or like what is correct or what is acceptable in the context of like our identities. I really think so much of it was based on this book. Yeah, I definitely think it's a must-read. And if you haven't read it, I implore that you do. Because apart from social commentary, it's also just really worth your time. It's a really good book, you guys. It's a super good story. I will say, though, that it is a little difficult to find now. Here's the thing. I remember I called National Bookstore because I wanted a second copy. My my original copy sort of got lost in like the mix when we moved in the middle of high school. So I called National Bookstore just asking. I was like, hey, do you guys have a copy of Without Seeing the Dawn? You know, where can I purchase it? What branch? And they were like, okay, we'll get back to you. And they got back to me and they're like, okay, there are three copies left and they're in Ilocosur. Again, accessibility. Like this is Philippine literature that even if it's not required for all, you know, it's required for some. And I would argue it's an important contemporary piece of Filipino lit. But we can't even find it in a store that is in practically every corner of our city, of our country even. Like, how does that make sense? It's incredibly frustrating. I mean, this was like about two years back. So I really hope they've restocked by now. And, you know, I mean, if not, let's just, it's the age of the internet. Try and find it online. I don't know. Just try to read it. Or, you know, you can ask me if you want to borrow my copy. I would gladly lend it to you. And just to like further illustrate why it's worth your time apart from its social merits, I would also just like to mention that it's definitely like not a boring book. It's very visceral and emotional and like a whirlwind of events. I mean, the first act, they does take its time a bit more. It's very slice of life in a in a very like calm, you know, way. I mean, obviously there are some like little bits and pieces of conflict, but day is literally a day in the province. It's a fun time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get the night where like things are going down and it's just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. I felt like I was holding my breath for most of like the second act. Yeah. Which I guess is an accurate portrayal of war. But um, everything was so vivid and particularly the ending. The ending was so dramatic. Oh gosh. Almost cinematic, I would say. Like when you read the words, you see it so clearly in your head. I used to say in high school, I would love to make another visual adaptation of this novel because I know there's a film adaptation of it. I just haven't watched it and I wouldn't really know where to find it. That's not the FTCP's film archives. Again, frustration of like really great media that you just don't know where to get. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, in summary, without seeing the dawn, will give you the best kind of reading experience. It's a journey of insights and emotions, for sure. It's just one of those books that I feel, if you are Filipino, will really very much like shape how you see yourself as a Filipino. And then, a year after the revelation that was without seeing the dawn, we read another book that we feel very strongly about. And it pulls on the same themes of community conflict in the midst of colonization, only in a different context. And this novel is Things Fall Apart. So Things Fall Apart, I think, is a relative 
relatively common book that's required in high schools. Um, not just in the Philippines, but like around the world. Like it's a book by Chinua Achebe, who is an African writer and poet. And it was released in 1958. So basically the book talks about pre-colonial life in Nigeria until the time that the Europeans come and occupy the land. This one is a lot shorter than Without Seeing the Dawn. It is, yeah. Like it's more condensed. It also feels a lot more straightforward mm. in a way. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't spend as much time with setting up the story and being as detailed in its descriptions. But that's really just a writing style anyway. And in any case, it's still very much described the rituals and traditions very well, especially considering for kids reading it outside of Africa. It's not unlikely that Things Fall Apart would be their first real immersive touchpoint with Nigerian culture. For sure. I feel like this was my introduction to African media, actually. And I mean, the reason why Things Fall Apart was so revolutionary in the first place was because it was written by an African about Africans. So it was Chinua Achebe taking back the narrative that was imposed on them by their oppressors and then propagated around the world. Which is why I think it's such a great book to be discussed. And as Filipinos with such long history of being oppressed by foreign powers and also our own people, we can relate to that desire of taking back our narrative. Right. There's a lot that I love about this book. And like, aside from the depictions of colonialism and how it really shows the nuances of like how basically invaders mm. um, in your land really screws with basically everything that you know. What I really love about this book, and I remember the discussions about it, is it opened the door to so many discussions on how society views social dynamics uh, in terms of gender. I remember, again... Our lovely English teacher, hi Miss Maria, talking about the different female characters in the story in the context of how the men interact with them. And I think as a young teenager, at that age you understand like feminism and you understand like social norms and expectations, but I don't think you quite fully grasp it because there's not like a course on it. Like you don't discuss it in an academic sense. And I feel like having this discussion in particular really talk about like, oh, society views these characters this way, particularly because of their gender. I felt was a very important sort of touch point in me understanding like feminism. Yeah, because masculinity and strength was a big overarching theme in Things Fall Apart. And and something that we see both as an individual struggle with the main character, Akwonko, and a community struggle. And it was a very central theme and it was definitely clearer in that. Um, I'm thinking of this via V without seeing the dawn where you know, of course, feminism and gender expectations and, you know, tragedy of war is explored. I mean, comfort women were in the book. But I would say it's a theme that is weaved in and out since we see different aspects of it from different characters. Whereas things fall apart, you know, the crushing weight of that struggle of masculinity and strength was crucial to Kwanko's eventual downfall. Because it was a defining struggle for him, which would manifest in how he interacted with all of the people around him. Yeah, the gender dynamics was a great way to like discuss the book and the cultural differences. Having it be a piece of African literature, which talks very specifically about African culture. People don't 
at least we sophomores in the Philippines don't quite have like a full grasp of it. It would have been very easy to sort of dismiss certain customs or certain beliefs as right or wrong. And I just remember like how detailed those discussions were when we talked about like, oh, this character does this action. And maybe in the Philippine context, that's not proper. But in pre-colonial African context, that was very much like the norm. And that was very much like what should have been done. So I feel like this was also like one of my precursor sort of like entry points into understanding like cultural differences. For sure. I mean, I believe it was meant to impart that skill to, you know, of putting together context. Because unlike without seeing the dawn, the context of African culture and Nigerian culture is something we had to familiarize ourselves with beforehand. And I remember very clearly having a lot of sessions and activities dedicated to understanding Nigerian traditions, belief systems, and customs, especially of that time, so that we could appreciate it more before actually getting into the story analysis. Right, yeah. And then, again, learning it after without seeing the dawn, which had similar themes and conflicts in a different context, puts into perspective the connections you can make across borders and, you know, stuff about human patterns and cycles. I'll be completely honest. Whenever I talk about literature that I read in high school, and it's a topic that comes up quite often, which really tells you everything you need to know about me. (laughs) I like talking about Without Seeing the Dawn and Things Fall Apart in tandem. A lot of what it teaches and a lot of what it tackles are very, very similar. I will say, though, that with Things Fall Apart, I feel like this had a much more overt characterization of colonizers as villains oh yeah and i loved that dynamic it was great i'm trying to recall and i think in without seeing the dawn they actually barely mention the japanese i could be wrong but yeah with without seeing the dawn you kind of get the understanding of how colonization and like war screws people over through context clues because they're very much hyper focused on like your main characters and the lives that they live yeah and the trickle down effect of the war because it was like a progression until they eventually couldn't run away from it anymore. Whereas Okwonko more directly felt the threat of the occupation throughout, I think. And I particularly like that we have Okwonko, who is, again, like a very complex, very flawed character, which I really appreciate. But you clearly see that there is an enemy that is the European occupation. And honestly, reading it in high school, that felt very radical. Because I feel like for a lot of discussions in, lit- in English classes and like, you know, history classes, you talk about colonization and you talk about how it changes pre-colonial society, but you don't, you very rarely paint it as a bad thing. You just treat it as a thing that happens. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, they attempt to discuss it in a neutral, almost clinical there's this one time I remember in history class, we were supposed to think about like good things that came from the Spanish occupation, like in tandem with all of the bad things. And like, this is a clear memory because I was having such a hard time thinking of one because everything that I thought of, I was like, yeah, no, I don't, that's not a good thing. So I was slightly uncomfortable with that discussion point. And so things fall apart, leaning into that more radical perspective so important just by allowing you to feel like a radical perspective is valid. And I mean, 
you know, with both things fall apart and without seeing the dawn, it doesn't really like tell you necessarily. Like it's not a prescriptive thing that they tell you that, oh, you know, colonizers are terrible people. But it's one of those things where they really do paint it in such a in such a human way. Um aren't colonizers evil? I'm just kidding. Or am I? <laughs> Um, but anyway, yes, definitely. I do think they weren't necessarily prescriptive. Again, literature is there to help you build and challenge your worldview. With both of us, I feel like, you know, it, we're very comfortable saying that we lean left of center. And I really do think that a lot of it is because of books like these that we were really able to dissect and understand in the context of us as people and the context of society at large. And that I think is like one of the most important things really that you can teach in a classroom. Yeah, like going back to what we mentioned in the beginning, English class is there to help you explore and be creative, but it also helps you be a good listener and be critical and discerning and reflective. And that includes both, you know, about your identity as an individual and also as a part of a community, like finding your place in society, whatever that may be. You know, one of the reasons I personally think Uh, that I loved English class growing up was because it doesn't just teach you practical skills. It really allows you to understand the world that you operate in. And English classes really do affect um, your worldviews and your way of thinking. And to have good literature and to have good discussions when you're growing up, like in your formative years, is so important in really like, basically shaping the person that you become. We also, again, recognize that we are in a very privileged position and that we were, you know, able to go to school and that we were also able to access these works of literature. And yes, we did love them and yes, we did enjoy them, but there will be people who didn't get the opportunity to or who didn't feel the same way about these works. Yeah, it wasn't great for everyone. Yeah, because the school system doesn't necessarily cater to every kind of student. And there's still so much inequality in our education. And that has been so painfully apparent this year. So I think that just gives more weight to the question of what have we been shaped into by these realizations from our required literature or by any of the things we have picked up from school really and that's something that we have to think about for ourselves but before i leave you to reflect on that haunting question i'd just like to give a big like heartfelt thank you to our teachers and we've kind of done so throughout this episode but i think it bears repeating considering absolutely who are struggling with such difficult circumstances who are basically like having to relearn how to teach at this point. Yeah, for sure. It's been tough to navigate education in such a chaotic time, both for students and teachers alike. And it's not like it was easy before, but like it's definitely a lot harder now. And, you know, the teachers who have long been considerate of their students and the teachers who do their best to make required reading or like any type of requirement meaningful and engaging and useful for their students you know thank you so much the work that you guys do to allow information and knowledge to continue is just it's great so thank you so much and we appreciate all of your work hats off to you and thank you for trying to make 
our flawed education system just a little bit more bearable. I really don't think we can end it any other way, but we would also like to hear from you guys. So, have you read any of the books that we've talked about? And if so, what did you think about them? Were there other books that you read that really stayed with you? Tell us about your favorite English teacher or your favorite teacher in general, because the world needs more positivity and we can always start with that. We're posting questions and discussing over at In Medias Mess on Twitter, so you guys can check us out there. And hopefully, we'll also be able to figure out where we can get these books and link them over there as well. That's a good idea. And I hope that we all continue to help each other kind of bridge the gap of inequalities in our education and continue to fight so that no student or teacher is left behind. That's it for us this week. Thank you for spending time with us, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.